Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Make Your Own Damn Podcast. I am Lucas Mangum, and with me, as always, is Mr. Jeff Burke, the only man to ever get a uh, an, uh, a book blurb from Mr. Lloyd Kaufman. How you doing, Jeff? Oh, I'm doing good. I am not the only man to. Lots of people have gotten blurbs from Lloyd Kaufman. <laughs> is that, well, oh, you might be the only one that he's called the next William Faulkner. I, I think I am. I think I'm the only one he called... Um, uh, no, he called me this generation's William Faulkner. Oh, which, yeah, that's right. Which actually now, the more I think about it, may have been a backhanded insult towards both me and my generation. Um, so, Or Faulkner. You know what? And I, I believe I've mentioned before, I hate William Faulkner. You I've have, read one you of have his mentioned. books. I read Go, uh, Go Down Moses or Get Down Moses, whatever the hell that book is called. Fucking gibberish. I hated it. <laughs> That's incredible. I have not read that one. I read uh, Sound and the Fury, and I did enjoy that. But um, I'm glad you did. But I'm gonna skip it after. I that's just, fair. I just did not like Get Down Moses or Go Down Moses, whatever it was called. That much. I've never touched <laughs> another one of his books. Totally fair. Totally and fair. It was assigned reading for a college class, and I'm not one of those people that's like uh, assigned reading. I've enjoyed an awful lot of assigned reading I got during my school years, but that was not one of those books. I can tell you that. <laughs> oh, that oh man! Awesome. And see, before we rec- before we started recording, uh, we were talking about how last night I went to go see um, El Topo and the Holy Mountain by Alexandro Hodorowski. And we were having a conversation about Hodorowsky's films and some of the symbolism in his films. And then we open here with immediately getting into a discussion about William Faulkner. And this is, and now we're going to talk about squeeze play, <laughs> which couldn't be further removed from William Faulkner or Alexandro Hodorowsky. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, I mean, well, hey, you know what? Of artistic in, interest. I was gonna say, in in true trauma spirit, we are we are we are talking about highbrow and lowbrow <laughs> art. Yes. <laughs> uh, and today's movie is pretty lowbrow. It's, yeah, um, <laughs> even for trauma. Um, <laughs> yeah, shall, shall I kick us off here with the description on Trauma's website? Yeah, let's hear it. Okay, this is from Choma's website. Squeeze Play is the first and most seminal of the sexy comedies of the late 70s. Before there was Porky's, there was Squeeze Play, a hilarious, raunchy comedy about a woman's softball team where anything goes. It's a wild battle of the sexes as the World Series of Laughs heats up on and off the softball field. That's the description. (laughs) Yeah, um, I mean, and that's the, kind the, of all there is to It's it. the World Series of Laughs is the official tagline for Squeeze Play. How much did you laugh in this movie, Jeff? Uh, I don't, I don't really think I laughed at all in this movie. This is not exactly my sense of humor. I was going to say, it didn't, um... You know, uh, we we have done. I, I should I should back up a little bit. We have done uh, one other of the sex comedies um, by Lloyd Kaufman and Company uh, on our, on this show. We talked about the first turn on, um, which is ironically the last of the sex comedies that Lloyd Kaufman made. 
It is the last. And, and um, Squeeze Play is the first of the sex comedies Lloyd Kaufman made. Wow. Okay. All right. We went so, from the last one to the first one. Interesting. Interesting. Um, and the first turn on uh, made me laugh a lot more than this movie, and it turned me on a lot more than this movie. So. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'd say both those things were uh, were true. Um, <laughs> yeah. So you had never seen Squeeze Play before, had you? I had never seen it. I Yeah. I mean, this uh, – yeah, the – the um, exploration of the trauma sex comedies has been all new experiences for me uh, um, for this show. As, as well as with me, this is uh, the first time I saw this film. And um, I guess we should also note this came out in 1979. Yep. And um, oh, I got to double check again. When did Porky's come out? Because remember, the, uh, the first turn on also said before por- Porky's. And we proved that that was not true. Okay, Porky's <laughs> yeah. was... 1981. In this case, trauma is in fact accurate and correct. That 1979 does come before 1981. Um, yes. <laughs> so this was before Porky's. However, I don't know why on trauma's website they don't have the obvious of before a league of their own. Which yeah, I mean, the come league on. Of their they, own, they said uh, they said the new Gladiators was before Gladiator. <laughs> yeah, that one. That one hurt. Um, but like the League of Their Own, I've actually never seen the League of Their Own. I don't really know much about it. Um, I saw but... it when it, a long time ago. I I actually like kind of like sports movies. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Yeah. So and even uh, though I'm not really a sports fan, <laughs> I don't know. It's a I, weird I'm thing. not a sports movie guy, so I consider that also automatically like a strike against this movie for me. Like, I even like, struggle to think of a sports movie that I've liked. Um, I, I honestly can't think of one off the top of my oh, head. Oh wow! Okay. Well, what's yeah. some good? What's some good sports movies? Um, it, you know, I would say Rocky's good. Um, Rocky and, was okay. I've seen Rocky. Know, I thought uh, it was fine. Yeah. Um, I used to really like oh. Remember the Titans. I, I can't, I don't know if I would like it now. I mean, I, I, I didn't care for Remember the Titans when I saw it like, way back when. Yeah, I like I saw it when it came uh, out, so Raging I don't remember Bull. it. Mentioning Rocky, that oh. reminds me of Raging Bull. I, I did like Raging Bull. That was a Raging good Bull is great. Uh, the Wrestler, if that counts, is really I, good. I would count that, but I've never seen The Wrestler. Cool. Um, Just because I was like, oh, a movie about professional wrestling. I know it's supposed to be great. I know it's like this really serious, deep, nuanced take on, like, reflection and all these things of life. But I was like, I, I, I'm, I got other things to watch. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am a wrestling fan, so that movie that was a must-watch for me. That, um, I, that makes total sense, then. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, it's... I say I like sports movies, but honestly, like, it's more of just, like, it was something I, I, you know, I would just watch sports movies with my dad. So it was just, you know, nice memories, Are I guess. Are sports movies still a thing? I don't I, know. Because <laughs> I don't pay any attention to them at all, so there could be major ones coming out, and I'm just, like, not paying any attention. Or it just enters my brain and then leaves my brain. Yeah, I mean, we we did have a new Space Jam, if that counts. I, yeah, and then and then you the know old, what? I've never the, seen the old Space Jam, so that was the Creed movies, me. which are like I guess Rocky sequels. Oh, 
yeah, oh, yeah which are right. actually really good. Are, I hear they're great. Um, and right. yeah, they're huge. You're right. So we got the Creed movies are are definitely happening. Yeah. Um, and uh, but, does Mortal Kombat count? <laughs> no, Mortal Kombat. I I um, I think once you start getting the fighting tournament, I get how you can make a roundabout argument, but I'd say I'd say that's a different thing. Like yeah, I was I was, I was mostly joking. A martial art movie is not a sports movie, and it's like, you gotta draw the line somewhere, and I'd say, like, the fighting tournament movies are more rooted in martial arts movies than they are in sports movies, and I really enjoy a good martial arts movie, and the good fighting tournament movie is always super, super fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, squeeze play. First yeah, off, we went off on a tangent. Um, no, I don't. And I kept waiting for them to explain it in the movie, and I don't think they did. Okay, thank you. It wasn't just me, because they at multiple points set up that they're about to explain what a squeeze play is, and I never by the end of the movie, I never actually grasp what a squeeze play is. It is apparently a real term, a real play in softball. Um yeah. However, I don't really know much about softball, and I don't know what a squeeze play is, and I researched a whole bunch of things to this movie, but I did not fucking research what a squeeze play was. I yeah. just felt like I couldn't be bothered. I'm like, uh, I'll, deep, I'll dig deeper into IMDB rather than start learning about the rules of softball. All right, so um, according to dictionary.com, Oh, wait, hold on. I'm sorry. According to Merriam-Webster.com, it's a baseball play in which a runner on third base starts for home plate as the ball is being pitched and the batter attempts to bunt to give the runner a chance to score. Okay, so it's basically like a ah, like so a really... so the runner's squeezing in... Yeah, like yeah. kind of a really close call, I guess. Okay, okay. Yeah. I, I, okay, you know what? You just did a way better job explaining it to me than anything in this movie did. <laughs> yeah yeah uh shout out miriam webster dictionary uh though i did actually like the announcer in this movie i did he was a highlight of the movie for me um when before we like when we were both like watching this movie and prep for this episode you were texting me of like this movie has a narrator and then i get back and text me a little bit later of oh no wait he's a he's a baseball announcer and it's like oh it all makes sense now (laughs) <laughs> yes, yes. He was calling the movie as if it was a play-by-play, which yes. um, I kind of feel like was maybe required <laughs> because... <laughs> oh, yeah. Otherwise... It's kind of a... Dis- it's a very meandering movie with, with I will say, and admittedly, uh, it, it has a, a pretty pretty high amounts of like uh slight gags and uh, you know and 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 you know jokes and stuff but like yeah as far as like what's going on it's yeah you definitely need that uh though not as much as like um the first turn on did that i yeah. found this movie this is interesting that this is the first of lloyd kaufman's sex comedies and this is arguably the first movie where Lloyd Kaufman is becoming what we think of as Lloyd Kaufman. Because before this, we just had The Girl Who Returned and The Battle of Love's Return, which are his two art house films. And then Mm -hmm. there's Big Gus, What's the Fuss, which (laughs) 
um, I, I believe is a crime movie of sorts. Um, it's a, oh, it's a uh, it's a it's a crime comedy movie, um, and though it was um, specifically made by the Israeli government, I believe. We'll have to dig into that in when we eventually get to Big Gus. What's the fuss? But there's actually like a whole thing of it tie, of it tie, tying into Israel, the nation state Israel, and that's really? like what Lloyd Kaufman was hired on to do. Yeah, and then there's a gap of uh, between Big Gus, What's the Fuss, and Squeeze Play, and do About you know what six Lloyd, years? Yeah, do you know what Lloyd Kaufman was directing during that time period? I actually managed to find out, and um, um, I know I he was doing. He was helping out a lot on Rocky. Um, well, he was doing. He was doing that stuff. But yeah. He kept directing. Oh, he, he directed, was doing. I'm assuming pornography. Like, he did porns. Yeah. And unfortunately, I don't have it in front of me, but I did find the names of some of the porns that Lloyd Kaufman directed, which he kind of tries to scrub from his record. I was going to say it's not even on his Wikipedia. But no, no, it's not on his IMDb. It's not kind of like anywhere. Like the fact that Lloyd Kaufman directed porn is kind of danced around everywhere, but he did direct several porns, and I have managed to find the names of some of them. We Maybe we'll watch a porn in a later episode. <laughs> yeah, well, well, that'll be hard to justify, but uh, yeah, I'll have to pick a day when the kids aren't home, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no I, I do remember thinking when we watched uh, Tales from the Crapper for this show, and about a half an hour into the movie, I was like, D- did I make us watch a porn? <laughs> a very weird one. <laughs> uh, it's getting close to getting close to just being a porn. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it is worth pointing out that um, this is one of the many films in uh, Lloyd's filmography uh, credit where he's credited as Samuel Wheel uh, for reasons yes. we have outlined before. But um, it had to do with uh, being. Uh, One of those guilds. Yes, because Lloyd Kaufman was doing the production assistant work, as you referenced, most famously for Rocky, but he also did for right. other movies. And he was part of the guild that includes uh, PA work. I'm not sure exactly which guild that is. But because he was part of that guild, he technically wasn't allowed to direct a movie while still – because the Hollywood guilds and unions are kind of fucked in ways about how people – it's very difficult for people to cross over into different aspects of production, even if they're on completely different movies. Yeah. And maybe it's better now. It might, it might be better now, but, um, in the seventies, in the seventies and eighties, it was much more difficult to be a member of those guilds and then do work that wasn't part of that specific guild. And so Lloyd Kaufman had to direct in the name, um, um, was what, Samuel, Sam, Samuel wheel. Samuel Wheel, thank you. It's like, how am I spacing on this? We've talked it's about this Wheel so much. or Wheel. I, I, it's it's yeah. W-E-I-L. I'm not exactly sure on the pronunciation. Um, but uh, now he, um, he, you know, he directed it under Samuel Wheel. Now he, he wrote it with um, Charles Kaufman. Of Mother's Day. Of Mother's and, Day fame. And, and someone named Haim... Pekelis. Yes, Haim Pekelis, which yeah. I did a ton of research into Haim Pekelis because I was kind of convinced there for a bit <coughs> that this was another pseudonym for Lloyd Kaufman for ah. some reason. Turns out, no. Haim Pekelis 
or Pekilis, or however you pronounce this guy's name, is in fact a real person. And oh. he was only briefly involved in the movie industry. Um, I'm not sure if I have his IMDb pulled up, but uh, he was only briefly involved in the movie industry, only worked on a few movies, and he, in Lloyd Kaufman, when I tried Googling him online and trying to do deep Googling, I kept finding this name of Hayne Pekelis working in the financial industry. And, of course, I'm just going to assume of, like, oh, it's different guys with the same name and that. No, yeah. no, Hayne Pekelis left filmmaking and became an investment banker in wow. which and how I figured that out was actually just today that I was re reading the chapter on squeeze play and all I need to know about filmmaking I learned in the Toxic Avenger by Lee Kaufman and James Gunn and Lake Kaufman talks about sleeping on Hampakellis's couch for three weeks while they finalized the script for squeeze play, and then Hank Pekelis later left the film industry to become an investment banker, which <laughs> means the Wall Street guy that probably that kept coming up in my searches is probably the same guy. That's it's probably, incredible. It's like I actually probably did track down Hank Pekelis. Um, he does not talk about his experience in the movies anymore, so we're yeah. probably not going to get him on this show, even though we actually haven't gotten anybody on this show. <laughs> That's true. That's true. He only wrote one no movie. No guests yet. <laughs> he only wrote one movie. He squeeze play. Um, he was an actor in a, some movie called A Fan's Notes. Hmm. Never heard of it. He worked camera on The Lords of the Flatbush, which I really suspect might be a porn. Um, yeah. Sounds like a porn to me. A and bit. and he was an assistant to a director for a movie called Foreplay. Which, which also, yeah. Which also sounds like, um, like these are either porns or sex comedies. I yeah, guessing. yeah. So, um, from what I understand, uh, you know, according to uh, the Troma fandom wiki, um, Pekilis, uh was mostly responsible for the plot elements of this film. Um, oh, I just looked up foreplay. Here's the IMDb plot description. Yeah, Three yeah. vignettes about a man who buys a weird doll, a writer who is visited by his muse, and a kidnapper with very odd demands who holds a VIP hostage. Weird. Now, those could all still be porn scenarios. That, they, they could. Though I'm it also sounds like Trilogy of Terror. Yes. It's labeled as a comedy on IMDb. Huh. And also, it should be noted that Squeeze Play was the last movie he did It was involved in, in the film industry. So Squeeze Play broke him. <laughs> Lloyd Kaufman comments on, in all I need to know about filmmaking I learned from The Toxic Adventure, that um, Heim, how are you, Pekelis, Pekelis, sorry, if you, hear, I, yeah. if you hear this, I apologize for absolutely butchering your name, which I'm sure I'm doing. Um, he apparently hated the the script and working with Lloyd Kaufman. He did not are we, find are we any detecting of it. A, are we detecting a pattern here? <laughs> yeah. He did not find any of it funny. Um, so yeah, like according to Lloyd Kaufman's book, uh, Charles and Lloyd Kaufman came up with all the jokes, and um, and they approached another writer to actually create a story around all the joke sequences they were wanting to do. 
Oh, okay. And, and the um, the idea eventually, like for this movie, eventually came for them wanting to do a sports movie because sports movies at that moment were getting kind of popular and yeah. traumas always willing to you know jump on a trend, and so they picked uh, softball. And at the time, you know, this was um, late seventies. Uh, women's liberation, second wave of feminism is kind of like a big pop culture thing. And so they wanted to try to take some aspects of uh, the uh, second wave feminism and apply it to a sports movie. And this is also, this movie also plays with um, the whole battle of the sexes idea, which we actually didn't mention what the basic plot of this movie is which is um, a bunch of women are upset that their boyfriends are always ditching them to play. Are the boyfriends playing softball as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they're in a uh, softball league. It's, and so... I gotta say something, man. Like, okay, so, like, what's wrong with these dudes in this movie? Like, these, okay, these wait, women... Get, okay, before we... Hold on that. Hold on to that for a moment. Hold on okay. to that for a moment. Right, I, had the right. same, I know exactly where you're going, and I had the same <laughs> thoughts while watching this movie. But, um... But the, the quick basic plot is uh, all the girlfriend like, there's a, a bunch of guys that have an um, all-male softball team, and they're, I, I believe they're in an all-male league, and yeah. all the girlfriends are getting jealous that they're dedicating so much time to softball, and so they decide to form their own team to get back at their boyfriends with the goal of getting good enough to beat them in a game. And that's what the movie builds up to, is the softball game between... The, essentially the girlfriends versus the boyfriends and we'll get to how that works out later and so it's a very much a um battle of the sexes story which used to be extremely common and is essentially a plot idea that the only examples i can think of it in like recent decades practically yeah. is to mock the concept of battle of the sexes like i don't watch a lot of like mainstream comedy so i don't know how much it might be done on sitcoms anymore. But the last time I can think of a battle of the sexes I've seen depicted on screen was in an episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, where the whole point of <laughs> them doing that framework was to mock how dumb and sexist, sexist the idea of a battle of the sexes story is inherently. Hmm. Yeah, I can see that. So, yeah, I don't yeah, know. Let's dive right in because we say about the problems with the boyfriends, which is the opening scenes of the movie. Yeah. So um, these dudes have a bunch of gorgeous women who want to sleep with them, but they just want to play softball. Yes. Yes. To such a degree that mid-coitus, one of the guys will pull out without finishing to run to join the softball team. Yeah. So they can go play their game. Yeah. I, I, I'm not sure if I've ever been that dedicated to anything in my life that I'm willing no. to stop, <laughs> stop mid-coitus like that to, I've got to, like, I've got to go play Magic the Gathering. Like, no, that yeah, ain't happening. Like, <laughs> let me lose to Dark Souls again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. That's that's the setup. And, I mean, these dudes are... And, and most of the girlfriends seem pretty good, except for the um, one girlfriend that's just berating her boyfriend while he's trying to fix the sink. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's the only one. Like the other ones are just, they literally just want to have sex. Yes. <laughs> and she just wants to scold her boyfriend. And when he's like, when the softball team shows up to pick him up and he does like the little, like puts his hands together, like, thank you, God, to the sky. Um, this guy i'm like yeah dude you need to get out of there you need to go play some softball like get the fuck yeah. out of there. <laughs> like, i don't blame you at all like your, your girlfriend seems like a nightmare yeah and i and just a quick jump to the end of the movie and then the movie when we see all the couples getting back together at when well, they never really separate but with them all kind of like they play their game and now they're they're together she's yelling at him again Yes, she is. Yes, she is. Like, dude, move on. Find someone this, better. This is this is an abusive relationship. <laughs> yes, she, yes, she is very attractive. Yes, she is hot. But, dude, you can do better. Yeah. I felt bad for him. Yeah, I did too. Um, yeah. I mean, so that's like the setup for this movie. I mean, it's really just kind of all based around that. And it's just a lot of back and forth, like, there's not a lot of plot yeah. or even story to this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like you could sum up the whole story in a couple sentences. Because <laughs> most of the movie um, takes place either on the on the diamond with the various teams uh, preparing for their game or at a bar. And it's the same bar every single scene with the yeah. characters talking about playing the game, the, playing the game. Yeah. None of these people have anything in their life going on other than softball. Uh, that's not true. They they all work at the same place, and I can't remember what oh, it is. Oh, shit. They, they work at a warehouse. That's right. Yes. There is scenes of them It's a specific work. kind of warehouse, though. Oh, my God. You're right. It's like it's a, a mattress. It's a mattress, mattress warehouse. It's yeah. a mattress warehouse. That's it. Yeah. That's, that's, that's right, because I did see in the IMDb trivia, and this – I have not – managed to fact check it anywhere but it sounds true and i'm gonna go with it. it's true that um the extras in the warehouse mattress scenes are all actual employees of the warehouse oh that's cool <laughs> and that also though just makes sense to me because like tell a bunch of people like hey can we film here uh we'll throw you a couple bucks and you'll all be in a movie and i could see them to me like oh yeah 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 i'll unload the truck in the background for a movie. Yeah, I'll do what I'm already doing. Just yes. Uh, yeah, for that extra makes money. A lot of, it makes like, a lot of sense to me that they are like actual in the background. All the extras are actual employees of that warehouse. Yeah. However, the way they handle a forklift in this movie, I know OSHA would not approve. I think you are absolutely correct. <laughs> so, um. So we, we have, that's essentially almost, that's almost every scene of this movie I've, we've essentially already described. And it's being narrated like a baseball game by yeah. our narrator character who, is that God? Oh, maybe. <laughs> I, this is me thinking too much or just trying to. I mean, because he like, clearly is narrating scenes for which he is not pre yeah 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 he's yeah. omnipresent he knows everyone's goals and motivations he sees all he knows all however he cannot explain what a squeeze play is in any no. in any coherent way <laughs> I, I i will say i i laughed really hard and the and in at least one of the times he tried to explain it when he like kind of like is trying to do it with the pepsi cans and then he yes. just like gets lost <laughs> like okay that was actually the that was 
I thought legit the funniest moment of the whole movie. And it's nothing that's like, oh, this is amazing comic brilliance. I just didn't find most of the movie that funny as yeah. compared to the first turn on. And that was like a humor scene that's like, okay, this is more of my style of humor. It's a bit more messing with the format of a joke, messing with the structure of a joke. Where, yeah, yeah he has he has dozens of Pepsi cans, dozens yes. of them. And he's trying to use them to represent uh, players in the baseball field. But because they're all the same can, he's getting he's confusing himself to which can is supposed to represent who and what's going on. Yeah. And essentially trails off and it doesn't get resolved. We don't get an explanation of a squeeze play in that scene. No. Yeah. It just, no, it's funny. It's really funny. And um, also, we, we, we skipped over that in the aforementioned, aforementioned sex scene with the guy pulling out mid-coitus to go join the softball team, we get the movie's logo, Squeeze Play, show across oh, yeah. the screen oh, while yeah. he's squeezing it, while we get a close-up of his hand squeezing the woman's breasts. <laughs> yes, yes, that now, is I true. Said, I said before we started recording here today that it's like, I never expected to be on a podcast and talk about women's breasts this month much. People yeah. would never guess this from how we talk on this show, but Lucas knows me very well, very personally, for many, many years. This, like, sex-related topics is not really anything I ever really talk about. Yeah. And, and like, people's bodies is never really a thing I talk about at all. I just find it in conversation a bit uncouth, and it's just not really my style. I prefer to talk about other things. And this show, this fucking podcast has forced me to sound like a deranged pervert <laughs> yeah no um yeah yeah same. you did this to me lucas <laughs> oh yeah i know i know it's um you know if 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 all that talking about torture porn wasn't bad enough you know now 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 people are going to think you oh oh no no torture porn that is what i talk about in casual conversations yeah. <laughs> at, like at a party and stuff or, or, or serial killers and true crime and like that's a lot of my um, normal oh, topics any, anyone ever hangs out with me at a party just um just ask me of um i have several stories i'm notorious for that i can bring down the entire mood of a party by telling the stories <laughs> And if you're like, no, they can't be that bad. Hang out with me at a party, and believe me, actually, bring you down. If if uh, yeah, if you um, if you don't see Jeff at a party, you can just listen to our episode where we talk about uh, the remake of Mother's Day. You can Ah, find it in the archives. Yes, yes, yes. I I I do. That is that is more akin of what's like to hang out with Jeff Burke at a party is the, the the Mother's Day remake episode, and I go some I go some dark fucking places on that episode. Yes, we do. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Oh man. All right. So back to close up of woman's tits being squeezed, <laughs> and that's the title screen. That shows you what type of movie we're dealing with. So this is essentially. I mean, let's be honest here. The main purpose of this movie is. Uh, pornography for people who don't want to go to the triple X theater. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I that's mean... really what this is. Um, the movie features an extended wet t-shirt contest scene that I felt like took like 20 minutes of the movie. Yeah. That yeah. wet t-shirt scene was fucking dragged out really, really long. 
Yeah, I almost wonder if, like, I don't know how long wet t-shirt contests have been a thing, but, like, I'm wondering if that was, like, a new thing when this movie came out. Wow, you know what? I've That never even crossed my mind. And I'm... so, like, they're dwelling on it because it's novel. Or maybe it was just, like, uh, <gasps> maybe I'm overthinking it. <laughs> main purpose in the movie was just to have a extended scene while we can ogle these women's uh tits yeah and um i mean that's obviously the purpose of the scene and it just go i mean we get close-ups of every woman's wet tits yeah repeatedly and um it just drags it just yeah i mind do you have the um do you remember well, the, any of the... The first wet t-shirt contest um, was in 1971. The term wet t-shirt contest was coined in 1975. This was a relatively new thing. Yeah, wow. Yep. So, yeah, less than a decade old. I, I mean, way less than a decade. Like, the actual yeah. term wet t-shirt contest was less than five years old when this movie was made. Yeah, damn. So, so actually... That extended sequence probably did, probably was a bit because it was a relatively new novel concept. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The very first wet t-shirt contest happened in Sun Valley, Idaho, at the That's... Boiler Room Bar in January. <laughs> oh, God. A wet t-shirt contest in January in Idaho. My God, what are they doing to those poor women? That is, that is terrible. I mean, geez. That's the term, like the term wet t-shirt contest um, was coined in um, um, a oh a it was New Orleans has that on there for coining the term. I could see that. I yes. could absolutely see that. See that tracks. Idaho does not track. Yeah, Idaho does not. Uh, that is um, yeah, that's interesting. Especially January, man. God. Damn it, now I know the history of wet t-shirt contests because of this fucking show. <laughs> All right, well, that's some information in my brain I, I'll i never be able to unlearn. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, so um, yeah, yeah, what do we want to talk about with this movie? I mean, like, I feel like we should hold off on the game itself, but, like, everything building up to the game, like, was there really... There's a lot of repetition. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I will say, um, the one, the one girl, uh, I don't remember any of the character names, you know, yeah, but uh, she's the one in, like, in the beginning where she's, like, I guess she doesn't have a boyfriend, and so she's, like, trying to get the attention of, like, all of them. Yes. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, I almost feel like she is the uh, prototype of the Tromet. Ah! Just her look, man. Like, just she just looks like a Troma girl, like, before I that was the thing. I see what you mean there. I can see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. And for anyone listening that may not be familiar with it, because... I'm not sure if we've actually referenced Tromet. We have not. Yet we have on the not. show, which is kind of amazing. Tromet is um, Troma's term for their actresses that are specifically their like sexy pinup model actresses. Yeah. 
and um, uh, they on Troma's website. I don't believe they still do it, but they used to do Tromet of the Month, which you um, normally a heavily tattooed, heavily pierced girl with red with um not red hair with bright colored hair, um, crazy hair doing um you know sexy nude modeling and mm-hmm. uh Lloyd Kaufman always refers to like the sexy women in his movies as tromets and occasionally the sexy men he also refers to as tromets that anyone can be a tromet you just gotta be sexy yeah that's fair that's fair Lloyd Kaufman is an inclusive man he is he is no definitely uh credit where credit is due uh yeah so um, yeah yeah no i see and also that 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 character she's like the closest thing that any character in this movie has to an arc yeah that's true because she's like trying to get the attention of a guy guys and if i'm if we're talking about the right person this is also the one that like specifically ends up getting her eye on a guy and she's trying to win him over yeah 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 and um and then she eventually does and so there is, it's not much of a plot arc, but it does fall within yeah. the definition of a plot arc. I mean, I guess everybody has something going on. Like they like reunite with their others or their significant others and stuff. But yeah, I mean, they're, it's a very loose plot or yeah. loose. Yeah. I mean, they're very, they're not, it's not an overly complicated movie, which I guess that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I don't know. Here it felt it, a little really repetitive. Just, it's really just an excuse for repeated scenes to do close-up shots of the actress's tits. I mean, that's really yeah what this movie is. Um, shall we? Shall we jump to the final game? Or I shouldn't <laughs> even say the final game. The only game in the movie. Um, yeah. I have lots of stuff of like behind the scenes and. Um, the release of this movie and people going oh, cool. on to do other things. I actually have lots of stuff. I just don't really have much to say about the actual movie itself. Yeah, me neither. No, it's um, you know, the game. The game goes on, and it's like, yeah, they're kind of um, <laughs> the women are, you know, flashing the men to distract them, and uh, <laughs> yep. The guy uh, but gets it, a uh, baseball to the uh, to the ass. Yeah, he gets he catches a baseball with his butt, which, which um, is or a softball. Like a softball, which is like yeah. the most famous scene from this um, movie. That which uh, I thought that was the squeeze play. I you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that actually makes more sense. <laughs> that yeah. that actually makes way more sense to me if that would have been the squeeze play. Yes, yes. Oh gosh, so. And do you yeah. know how they filmed that? How they managed to have a man catch a softball with his ass? I'm assuming it was maybe filmed in reverse. Yep, you nailed it. You nailed yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's... they they just lightly adhered the uh, the softball to his ass, and then they had the string, and they just pulled it off, and then yeah. we're seeing it in reverse. Cool. That's yeah. a special effect that Lloyd Kaufman's very proud of. Because still to this day, in interviews and books and writing, he does talk about low budget, uh, zero budget special effects. He constantly uses the baseball to the uh, softball. I'm sorry, to the ass example from Squeeze Play. Yeah. So he's he's proud of that. 
Yeah, this this movie gave me a weird feeling though, man, because like my uh my dad played a lot of softball when I was a kid and uh I'm like did did I hope my mom and dad didn't have weird fights like this. Oh, I thought you were going to be like I thought you were going to be like I hope my dad didn't watch this movie. You think your dad ever watched this movie? I don't know. I maybe he might have. I mean, he's he watched yeah, he watched all kind of weird shit back in the day. Not so much anymore. Although he'll he'll like send me weird messages. Like when Ash versus Evil Dead was on, like I know I'd talked to him about Evil Dead before because of course I have. Like I talked to I used to talk to everybody about Evil Dead. Um, yeah. But like, um, but then like then that show came on, you know, and uh, he's like, man, this show's great. Did you know this guy was in a movie like back in the eighties, like? about the same shit and i was like yeah <laughs> like <laughs> yeah i would have been able to follow that like i'm surprised you didn't say like yeah i've met i've met him have you have you ever met um bruce campbell at like an event i've actually not I have that not. surprises me because he gets yeah. around so much yeah i almost i almost got to meet him uh to see uh Oh, what the hell is it called? My name is Bruce. Oh, great movie. Great movie. Yeah, great movie. Um, but uh I forget why I couldn't go. Like I like my friends had an extra ticket for me and there was like a reason I couldn't go, but it was like thirteen years ago now, so I don't really remember. But yeah. Yeah, I, I've met him a few times at uh horror conventions. R- really nice guy. Um he he has a reputation. I, I see from just reading online, some people have a uh a negative opinion of him. I think it's people don't get his sense of humor. Right. Right. Um, he, he has a very insulty sense of humor. And it's like, it's not that he's being mean to you. That's just his sense of. It's humor. incredibly self-deprecating, but also. Deprecating in, also anyone around. I was going to say like, like in deprecating himself, he also is deprecating to his admirers. So yes. that, yeah. Um, and, and, and I get that because I remember like, when I would read interviews with them, when I, like, I guess I didn't understand that it was, like, a joke at first, because I remember reading interviews with them when I was, like, a teenager, being like, man, what's his problem? <laughs> oh, man, on, on Reddit, on the horror boards, I, I've seen too many posts account of people being like, yeah, I was so excited to see Bruce Campbell host a screening of this movie, and he just insulted the entire audience the entire time. What a dick. I don't like him. I don't get it. It's like, no, dude, that that's his gimmick. That's his joke. That's what he does. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And uh, Kane Hodder's uh, shtick is just like how how much of a badass he is, because yeah. he is. <laughs> I mean, the guy's been... And, and then there's... And then there's I, yeah, fuck, I have no problem going on the record saying it. And then there's Tom Savini, who is just straight up an asshole. Really? Oh, yeah. I've, I've seen that on Facebook, but I just didn't trust it because I was like, uh, I don't oh, know no. these Tom people Tom Savini's are. a fucking jerk. He's, he's, really? he's a, not a nice guy at That's all. That's a shame. Um, I used to be neighbors with him when I lived in Pittsburgh. He lived on the same, sh- he lived on like the same block as me. Holy shit. I'd see him, I'd see him at the local coffee shop, uh, like the couple dozen feet from my front door all the time. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not a nice guy. <laughs> That's a shame, dude. <laughs> I can, I can say that from experience. Damn. <laughs> and before someone's like, Oh, you probably ran up to him in the coffee shop to get uh, his autograph. That's like, no, I actually never talked with him in the coffee shop. Never shared a word with him. I just saw him and how he acted with people. He's a yeah. dick. 
<laughs> so I'm never working with Tom Savini because of this show now. Yeah, yeah, well. This goes public. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, back to this fucking movie. <laughs> I know, I know. Lloyd, we know, you know we love you, but uh, man. <laughs> I think you can already tell what I'm going to be saying when we get to do you recommend this at the end. Yeah, um, yeah. So, um, so we get the final baseball game or softball game. God damn, I keep saying baseball, softball. I, I'm going to be like, it's all the same thing, but anyone that follows sports is like, no, they're different things. I'm like, the, I don't know. the only difference I know is that the ball is bigger and they throw it underhand instead of overhand. Yeah. That is literally all I know. I, there may be other differences. I don't think there are, but <laughs> I, I have absolutely no clue. <laughs> Any softball fans out there want to correct us? Please I do. don't care. I'm going to yeah. tell you, keep it to yourself. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so the final game happens, and I guess the big twist of the movie that pretty much no other movie or Battle of the Sexes story, I, I'll give them credit, would do this, is that the girls lose. The women lose. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And that admittedly is kind of a twist. Like, the way the entire movie structured, you're expecting the, you know, the underdogs to come ahead in the victory at the end, and they don't. And, yeah. Um, uh, how do you feel about that aspect? That they it don't was, win at the end. I didn't know what to make of it, to be honest, man, because I was like, it just seemed like an odd choice. It just, it wasn't what I expected. And I know it's good to be surprised sometimes, but uh, I don't know. I was just kind of like, hmm. Well, I, <laughs> I found this interesting here. I have an excerpt here from uh, Lloyd Kaufman's book where he addresses the ending specifically. And to quote Lloyd Kaufman, um, quote, I once read a feminist critique of the film that said this was my warning to women everywhere that they should stay in their places, act as sexual toys, and refrain from competing with the male of the species. That wasn't the intent. I chose, I chose that ending first and foremost because it's exactly what the audience doesn't expect. All through the movie, you're led to believe that the women will have a triumphant victory. It's fun to pull out the rug from under the audience at the end. Um, Feminists, not known for their sense of humor, seem to miss this point, that it's funny. Second, it's because, yes, women are, in fact, not as apt as men at playing softball. Having them win wouldn't have proved a thing about their place in the socioeconomic community. Third, if there is any gender political point at all, it's this. Women can compete with men and be feminine. Sexuality and sexiness are not the opposite of power. Occasionally, I have lectured at Milo Foreman's class at Columbia University for my friend Michael Hausman. Twice I have shown squeeze play and spoken about it. The first time in the early 80s, I was verbally attacked by some women who found the film demeaning. The second time in the early 90s, there was no such protest. The women were amused by the movie. There were also more women in that class. They were knowledgeable on the history of low-budget films. They wanted to know the practical points. How did I get this shot? Where did I get the money? How did I distribute it? The values of squeeze play, as well as, as, well as all the sexy comedies, 
are closer to the values of the post-feminist feminists of today than the feminists of the 70s and 80s. Wow. Which I thought that was a really interesting excerpt. It's a great, I mean, it's a great response, you know? Yes. I mean, because I could definitely see him being called out for the ending, especially especially, especially in the 80s. And yeah. it's it's a lot of people, and, and like Kaufman kind of like uh, addresses Molly there, it's like a lot of people don't realize when they group all of, they group all of feminism together, but really there's, it's normally referred to as waves, but there's actually kind of three main distinct viewpoints of feminism, which are normally grouped in the first, second, and third wave feminism. Yeah. Uh, and, first wave, and there's fucking, like, groups within each wave. Oh, yeah. Too. Oh, like, yes, there are. Yeah. But, like, but to, to not do an entire, like, um, you know, Women's Studies 101 class and go through all of the minutia. Um, a, a way you can break it down is in the three waves and where trauma falls into with their representation of women would be very much grouped in what's called third wave feminism. And that's what a lot of, um, especially modern day feminism would fall into is a lot of like what's called third wave. And to draw a line between it, like first wave feminism was really concerned with women gaining the right to vote. And second wave feminism was very much a reaction to um, patriarchal control of our economic, political, and social systems. That's where people get some of the viewpoints of quote-unquote man-hating feminist. I don't want to go into that whole distinction of where those people are coming from. But when people are like anti-feminists and they think of like, oh, they just hate men – they're talking about specific viewpoints within second wave feminism, but it's also kind of really outdated. It's very difficult to find yeah. people anymore that really take second wave feminism very seriously or anything more than like a historical interest thing. And in many ways, Lee Kaufman is kind of ahead of his time that he was representing lots of points of third wave before third wave had actually coalesced into something. It really wasn't until the 90s that uh, third wave feminism really came at the forefront of the feminist movements. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just did a brief overview of feminist history in the same episode while doing a brief overview of the wet t-shirt contest history. Well, hey, you know. um, In case anyone can't tell, I'm a third waiver. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, yeah. You learn all sorts of things on this show. Um, (laughs) Go back and listen to the uh, uh, Mother's Day remake episode, and I'll teach you what to do in case you ever get kidnapped. (laughs) <laughs> and how to know if your life is in danger or not. Oh, God. Uh, so, um, squeeze play. Yeah. So, um, yeah. <laughs> I don't, well, I'll be just, honest. I don't yeah. have a whole lot else. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, uh. Well, let's just move on to about, like, the release of this movie. And yeah. It's important, yeah. so it's place in trauma. Um, there's a lot more interesting things there that are yeah. actually on screen in this movie. So this movie had a uh, budget of uh, $300,000. and Okay. It was where essentially... Did you, where, did you, where do you see that? Because IMDb, I see it on which, Wikipedia. which is famously... Yeah, and IMDb is famously wrong on a lot of things like budget. They, they say half of that, but again... 
IMDb is not usually... 300,000 seems to fall in a lot more of what we learned were the budgets of trauma movies that came after this. Yeah. So I'm so. more inclined to believe that 300,000. Uh, yeah, not, like a quarter mil seems to be like their magic number a lot of the yes. time. Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, Even still to this day, unfortunately, for them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey. Um, yeah, come on, guys. Adjust for inflation. <laughs> Um, and uh, so when this movie was first released well let me take that back when they first tried to release this movie they got a lot of shit from the MPAA it was originally given an NC-17 rating which is insane um, yeah I don't know how this movie could possibly be NC-17 um, yeah. rated but it, uh, it was and so apparently lots of stuff had to be cut out in order to get an R rating um, now what's really interesting is we watched two different versions of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I somehow managed to watch a 71 minute version of this movie. And I'm suspicious that I accidentally watched the R rated cut of this. Um, yeah. everywhere else I look up online, this movie is listed as 88 minutes on Wikipedia. It's listed as 96 minutes on Troma's website. You watch this on Troma now, and you had what, a 90 some minute. I it was it was 98 minutes, but I think it was I think I think I watched the 96 minute version because it, on on Troma now there is a for some reason the movie starts with a with a trailer for the movie. And ironically, the version I watched starts with a Lloyd Kaufman intro. Did you see the Lloyd Kaufman intro? I did not. Huh. See, like, I don't know why Troma Now doesn't have all those Lloyd Kaufman intros. I don't either, because some of them were so great, dude. Like, Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't. I don't know what this one is like, but I mean, I... I like, I on, our pa- on our just past episode, like, I got a Lloyd Kaufman intro for Six Sock, six sock Monsters from Outer Space, because I watched it on the Blu-ray, and you didn't get to I see that. Not. I did not get to see it, and I'm I'm mad at you. <laughs> um, but I I'm guessing I somehow accidentally watched the R-rated version, not realizing I watched the R-rated. So you saw a version that was 20 minutes longer than the one I yeah. saw. Um, in particular, I keep coming across references to a clothed shower sequence, which was definitely not in the version I watched. So, did you see a sh- shower, a, like a what, You know, it's funny, sequence? when you said, when you said shower scene at first, like, I, I was like, that doesn't sound familiar, but then when you said clothed shower scene, yeah. I was like, oh yeah, 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 I remember that. I don't remember, like, the leg- like, a lot about it, like, the details, but I remember, like, people in the shower with their clothes on for some reason. That was probably, that I, that was not in the version I watched. However, I did get the... F- I, I'm only assuming it's the full wet t-shirt contest. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the MPAA... Uh, so they had to take a access movie because of the MPAA. Fuck the MPAA. Yeah. And, Fuck them all the way in the dick. Yes. In, in case anyone listening to, uh, to this has not seen it... Um, it's a bit outdated, but a lot of it still holds up to this very day. Fantastic documentary called This Film Is Not Yet Rated. That's essentially uh, an expose into all of the bullshit that the MPAA does and how the MPAA is inherently like 
anti-women, anti-GLBT representation. Um, it has a hardcore bias against the horror genre as a whole. Oh, and yeah. who the MPA actually is, spoilers, it's rich old white women in uh, in L.A. dictating the morality of mass media of the entire country. Yeah. Guys, wine moms are not your fucking friends. <laughs> Stop following them on Twitter. It's not a good idea. <laughs> you know, now that we're getting older, like we're firmly like in middle age here and we're seeing our peers get in the middle age, I'm seeing a lot of people starting to get into like the wine mom aesthetic. And it's like they were our enemies when we were kids and they're still our enemies. Yeah. Fuck uh, yeah. Oh man, I'm burning all sorts of bridges on this episode. <laughs> That's okay, me too. <laughs> um But uh so the MPA fucked this movie for its release. And so with their edited version, they tried to get it distributed all over. No one wanted to distribute the movie. Nobody wanted this. They essentially had like a useless product on their hands that they spent three hundred thousand dollars on and um as lloyd kaufman says a a theater in virginia randomly contacted them uh looking for a sex comedy to play as a double feature and i i don't i don't think it mentioned what was supposed to be the oh the in-laws oh yeah you you got it yeah 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 um it finally made its theatrical double feature as um uh, with the in-laws in Norfolk, Virginia. Um, there we go. And the, the squeeze play was the B movie for yeah. um, the in-laws. And Lloyd Kaufman has recounted in many interviews about that the night squeeze play had its theatrical uh, premiere. Lloyd Kaufman went to bed early in New York City thinking nothing of it. Oh, wow. Because he had written off the movie already as a failure and that they had yeah. failed and lost all this money. Um. And what ended up happening was essentially old oh. school version of going viral is that it the movie built a following it, it built there. audience, it built word of mouth, and people apparently responded to it really positively. The theater owner loved it and booked it for more showings. Then mm-hmm. other theaters started booking it, and the movie ended up snowballing in its appeal. Um, this the profits from this movie led to them directly purchasing the Truma building in New York City. Yes. That was yes, paid for with that. the profits from Squeeze Play. Yep. Um, and the TV rights of it, they later sold a decade after the movie had been made for $1 million. They sold the TV rights to, which I'm assuming was some sort of basic cable station because this that would have corresponded with um, uh, cable starting up as a concept. Yeah. Who knows? That may have been that early. Um, uh, I'm not exactly sure when. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if this somehow played into how USA Up All Night started acquiring a lot of trauma movies, which we've talked about on previous episodes. Yes, we have. Um, oh, I, uh, you know, you kind of, I, uh, one, one of, you did mention a lot of the issues that they had, you know, when they were trying to get it distributed. Um, it, it, but you didn't mention that uh, apparently two of the film's executive producers demanded to have their names oh. taken off of it. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Um, 
<laughs> uh, Lloyd Kaufman actually notes that in his book, and they um, both when Siphon became a success, uh, both of the executive producers asked to have their names removed, then asked to have their names added back to the movie. Oh, that's which, hilarious! Which uh, Michael Hertz and Lloyd Kaufman responded to them of, "We'll see what we can do." Uh, of course, they never got added back to it. No, of course <laughs> not. They got the middle finger. I can't blame them at all there. I mean, like, I, I can see why Michael Hertz and Lloyd Kaufman were bitter of, like, oh, so you abandoned us in our time of need, and only after we do all the work and become successful. Now you want the credit for it? Now fuck you guys. Yeah. Um, as far as critical reception goes, um, the New York Times, uh, Jane Maslin of the New York Times. Oh, I actually have the entire New York Times review oh. from... 19 yeah. May 8th 1981 um it's not that long would you like me to read it yeah please do yeah here's the original review printed in the New York Times May 8th 1981 Sorry, I said, by I said Jane Maslin uh Janet yes Janet Maslin yeah okay squeeze play is a zesty movie of its kind though its kind is bound to seem stupid to some and objectionable to others this is a low-budget body comedy full of dopey routines and live-wire characters, one of whom actually goes so far as to eat a banana split with ketchup and pickles on top. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that, that did happen in the movie. <laughs> I forgot about that. The material is idiocy, but the actors are fresh and likable, and at least they don't stand still long enough to wear out their welcome. Movies like Squeeze Play don't need plots, but they generally have plots anyway. In this case, there's a guy's baseball team and a bunch of gals who, deciding their men are too busy with baseball, start a team of their own. It's softball they're playing. Before it culminates in a playoff Battle of the Sexes baseball game, the movie features a wet t-shirt contest staged in a bar by the gals who want to annoy their husbands and boyfriends. The t-shirts say, support the ERA. Who's in charge here? Question mark. Which the ERA is the Equal Rights Amendment. For anyone that not be aware, the Equal Rights Amendment still has not passed. Uh, technically, on a federal level, really. Technically, women do not have ingrained in federal law equal rights to men, which is what the Equal Rights Amendment campaign was. That's a whole nother thing. That's a whole nother thing. Hey, I'm putting my poli sci degree to use. How about that? <laughs> um, Squeeze Play, which was directed by Sam Wheel and opens today at Lowe's Astor Plaza and the UA 85th Street and other theaters, has its last. Some in the scene, which feature a female baseball teammate, gets even with her boo. Wow, they use the term boo in 1981. Damn. Whoa. But I, I thought that was a much newer term. I wow. did, too. I thought, I, thought, I thought Nelly invented that. No, this is 1981 like New York Times using Boo <laughs> by leaving him tied up wearing nothing but a clown's hat and an earring. Oh, man, that scene was actually really funny, too. Um, if you don't think that's funny, there's no hope for the other gags, less describable here. Some of them involve a hugely buxom young baseball groupie counseled by another, more experienced young woman against catching her man by cleverless cleverness alone quote i know i know you've got a mind too says the second woman but what's bigger <laughs> to their credit the unknown actors in the cast survived the material very nicely best among them are gina hatrick jim harris diana valentine and, Mas and 
Missila Michaels? Missila? I can't be. Melissa! Melissa Michaels! Oof, sorry there. <laughs> I worked 10 hours today. It's been a long day. Oh, no but way. many of the other players are equally peppy. There are lots and lots of them. Um, there's lots and lots of them as benefits of film in which the scenes are jammed and noisy. And the atmosphere of a wild party prevails. There's a friendliness to all this, and that's the movie's best quality. Zest on the diamond. <laughs> so that's the full review from New York Times. Surprisingly, kind of positive review. It. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I'd consider that a positive review. Yeah, I would say so. Um, uh, unsurprisingly, Gene Siskel did not like this movie. <laughs> yes. Um, um, not much more professional than a home movie is what he called it after giving oof. it zero out of four stars. It also um, made his dog of the week pick, which yeah. I didn't know was a thing. I didn't know that, that was a thing that Gene Siskel did, but apparently uh, he did. And not sure what he has against just... dogs, but uh, <laughs> you know the you know that I know video. I know I'm just I'm just I just wanna I just wanna perpetuate the rumor that Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert hated dogs. <laughs> just <laughs> you hear you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and apparently Gene Siskel uh, walked, walked out of the film. Yeah. And specifically, um, it was a scene where yeah. um, where uh, uh, the char- a character played by Charles Kaufman, um, uh, uh, the, the female character puts, I forget what it was, she sticks up his nose. Yeah. Um, and the and the uh, the, the male character uh, blows his nose out into her mouth for like. Wait. Okay, so I'm getting I'm getting a different quote. I'm getting a quote. He said he he walked out after the male character reached into his nose and put snot in the beard of a bully. Oh, oh. Did that happen in the movie? I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't remember, remember that. I don't remember which one's right. I gotta be honest. I I feel like I don't, I don't remember. remember snot being put in the beard of a bully unless I yeah. just missed what the character was doing while they did it. So I yeah. thought Gene Siskel was misremembering and was talking about the scene where it essentially blows the booger into the girl's mouth. Which I that think was, you're right. That, was I, that, Co- that does actually sound about right. That was Charles Kaufman who did it, and the female character was his uh, uh, girlfriend at the time, and they did it because the two actors hired to do it on the day of filming refused to do the stunt. Which, wow. in Lloyd Kaufman's book, he talks about that the behind-the-scenes of this movie was a fucking shitstorm and a mess because they kept hiring um, actors who then, when it came time for them to do their scenes, refused to do the scenes or refused to speak the lines. Yikes. And Lloyd Kaufman was an inexperienced director at the time, and he says like the, his big lesson from Squeeze Play is now he knows when people start doing that to him on the film set, he fires them. Whereas in this movie, while making this movie, he tried to work around. Um, yeah. The uh, shower scene, which was not in my version, the reason the women were clothed is they had all agreed to do nudity before filming the movie. And when it came time to do the shower scene, they had actually um, um, essentially conspired together beforehand to refuse to do nudity in the movie because they felt that the movie was being demeaning towards women. Um, and... Yeah. Lloyd Kaufman, that's, this movie is also what uh, led to Lloyd Kaufman doing all the nudity scenes first. Mm. Uh, 
that way. Oh, it was if, this movie specifically. It was this movie specifically. It was because didn't he have problems in Trauma's War as well? He had problems in lots of movies, but he okay. credits this one specifically as uh, uh, this is what led him to what he because he didn't start filming the nude scenes first until much later. Gotcha. But he but he always references all the problems he had with squeeze play is the beginning of him uh, realizing like if people aren't doing the jobs I hire them for, I just have to fire them. Yeah. And, and instead of trying to negotiate or try to restructure, it's like that's not the job I hired you to do. Do the job I hired you to do or I'll find somebody else. Mm-hmm. And uh, specifically like the lead actress of this movie, which – I'm not entirely sure who's supposed to be the lead actress. <laughs> um, I think it's um, uh, uh, Jennifer. I was just Hedrick. looking at her. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah, she yeah. was hired to do uh, nude scenes, and when it came time to do her nude scenes, which they had already done um, days of shooting, she refused to act. She refused to do any nude scenes uh, for the movie, and so they had to restructure filming around her. And uh, I don't think Lloyd Kaufman likes her very much because he speaks in his book about how she was the one that then began um, organizing other members of the cast and crew to not do things as they were written in the script. Uh, oh, so she did actually go on to have a career, which we'll yeah. talk about a bit. I, I found some interesting trivia about mm. her looking her up right now and it looks like she uh yes oh she she went on to have a full career and what i was very surprised to find out is star trek fans which i'm a huge star trek fan she plays vosh in star trek next generation and deep space nine and some of you may be like vosh that name sounds familiar who's that character that was picard's like girlfriend um long lost love the one that got away Oh no shit! It's the same. Okay. It's it's her. I do remember her then. I was yeah. gonna. Cause, I mean, yeah. She's the archaeologist that. Yep. Goes on the adventures and won't settle down with Picard, and it's Picard's the one that got away. That's yep. her. And she also uh, was on the show Sliders, which you yeah, know, if you're I a '90s kid like Jeff and I, uh, you probably watch Sliders. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and she's she's still acting in things up to her last credit was uh 2018 but, yeah. but hey that's still fairly recent she was on 24 ncis alias beverly hills 9210 x files oh, wow. um she had quite a um uh quite a long uh history in television acting and that's just me picking out a few ones while scrolling down her very extensive yeah, imdb She's done a lot of work, um, but her her playing at of uh, not Ash her playing Vosh was like my favorite little piece of trivia I found in researching this episode. I was like, oh holy shit, that's her! Totally, totally. And and um, anyone that's a big Star Trek fan, especially big Next Generation fan, you all know why that's like such a cool character that she played in Star Trek. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but she got her starting trauma. Yep. And um, so yeah, so I, I, that the cast and crew is basically in mutiny state during the entire filming of this movie. Um, 
And I mean, apparently, according to Lloyd Kaufman, people were even nitpicking lines of the script while they were doing the days of the shooting. Yikes. Which, yeah, that sounds like a fucking nightmare of a set to be on. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so, so the movie then began to get a bit of a cult following. Um, apparently, the movie is uh, seen in the background of Friday the 13th Part 2. Which really? I've not verified that or fact-checked it. But according to IMDb, footage of this movie is used in Friday the 13th Part 2. Huh. So I can see that. I Man. There's probably something, if there's like a scene with the characters having a movie playing on in the background, it yeah, would be space there, there is. I just don't remember what movie it is. But uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, obviously a squeeze play if they're saying it is, but like... Man. And this goes back See. to, we know that there was a connection between um, Mother's Day and Friday, the first Friday the 13th. Yeah. So the Friday the 13th people were 100% aware of the trauma people. Yep. So. Yep. At the very least, Charlie. Yeah. It's, a, it's not surprising at all that there would be some little shout out reference in the second Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to think here, what else do I, uh, uh. What else do I have? Um, oh, uh, I did have a good, uh, I did have a good story here that Lloyd Kaufman recounts in, uh, in his book, um, talking about a screening that Michael Hertz and him hosted at Yale for Squeeze Play. Because remember, Lloyd Kaufman is Yale alum. He was in the same class as George W. Bush. Yes. Um. That, I, I was gonna say was was Bush at this screening because that that would be kind of interesting. No, this, this was later. This was later. This is when they return as you know big shot filmmakers to Yale ah, to be yes. able to to show off and do talks. So here's the story. Quote. <clears throat> Sorry about that. When Michael and I returned to Yale to show Squeeze Play to an absolutely silent crowd, I can't say it was my worst moment ever. Afterwards, I took the podium. I stared out at the sea of faces who had just paid a dollar each to see the movie. And then there's a footnote. Michael and I didn't make the money. It went to Yale Law School, damn it. <laughs> Michael was standing beside me. Any questions, I asked? Not a peep. Still waters don't always run deep. Sometimes they run into the minds of zombified academic peons. Finally, a young man in the back stood up. Yes, I said. We want our fucking money back. I stared at him for a moment. I must admit, I was a bit giddy with the energy. Oh, yeah, I cried. Come and get it. The crowd stood up in unison, like Nazi youth in the triumph of the will. I knew I was in trouble when I saw Maris and Pat, in fear of their lives, escaping out the back door. That's Michael Hertz and Lloyd Kaufman's partners. Michael Hertz physically threw me out of the way and took took the podium. Hold on, he bellowed. The crowd slowed. They stopped. Michael began to explain why the movie was the way it was and answer questions and thoughtfully debate with the audience. He won them over and in the end received a round of applause. To me, he didn't say a word the whole ride home. (laughs) I thought that was a pretty funny story there. Oh, that's awesome. Um... So yeah, this movie has like a big. It, it, it's really this is where the trauma legacy officially starts. Yeah, uh, no, that's true. Um, th- this is the first 
trauma movie, and it's the money made from this movie gets the trauma building. It indirectly leads to um, everything that is trauma. Oh God! Oh my God! I for- I forgot one of the, also the best stories about this movie with them trying to get yeah. a distribution. They uh, took this movie to the Cannes Film Festival. Now, once again, this is a come up before. It was not a part of the Cannes Film Festival. It screened during the Cannes Film Festival. These are two separate things. And they were goal was like, well, we can't get distribution in the U.S. Maybe we can sell some foreign distribution. There is one big problem about trying to get this movie foreign distribution. Can you guess what it is, Lucas? A uh, softball is just only an American thing? Exactly. That's exactly what it was. All the foreign yeah. reps that they talked to had no idea what softball was. So they're not going to sell a movie to you know Germany or France, yeah. which are two examples like Kaufman specifically gives, when those countries don't know what the sport is. Um, at no point during the pre-production or production of this movie did it ever occur to anyone involved, including Michael Hertz. Lloyd Kaufman's very keen on pointing out that Michael Hertz also did not think of it, that they were making a movie that was unintelligible to anyone outside of the United States. <laughs> That's awesome. And, hell, we, you, everyone listening heard us go over on the recording of the show to figure out what a squeeze play was. I mean, it doesn't even play to everyone in the States. Yeah. Because we don't follow softball or baseball or whatever. Whatever. <laughs> oh. Um, so, so this movie does have a very, very important place in the history of trauma entertainment. Absolutely. It, it doesn't really, though, have much more than uh, <laughs> that. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Uh, one of the actresses... Uh, claims that she was paid a hundred dollars for her total one month's work on the film. Oh God! So this was a low budget affair. Now keep in mind this is uh, 1979, so a hundred dollars goes a lot longer than a hundred dollars does today. But that's, that's true. Still not a lot of money for an acting job. Um, yeah. We we we've already uh, uh, talked about um, uh, the lead actress about how she went on to. Um, Lead actress Jennifer Hedrick went on to do other things. I was trying to research uh, what other people involved in this movie did. There's um, not a lot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of people in this movie did have long acting careers, but they were essentially extras or bit actors in a lot of productions. I mean, so, mm. you know, some of these productions were very well-known that these people were in, but the actors were not, the actors that were in Squeeze Play were not any sort of focal points. Um, probably the biggest one in relation to uh, uh, this show and the people that would be listening to it and the uh, people like Lucas and I, uh, the beauty parlor manager, um, I don't even remember that character in this move, in, in this movie, do you? Do, I remember a beauty parlor, but I don't remember a manager. Do you? Yeah, he was like the really scummy um, guy who like kept trying to like. He was like kind of rapey, to be honest. Oh, well, yeah. he um he uh played Ralph in uh, the miniseries The Stand. Oh no shit! Yeah, 
Wow. So he was a main, he went on to be a uh, main character in Stephen King's The Stand miniseries. Um, the character of Buddy w- went in went on to be in some like mainstream movies. It looks like like Kill the Irishman. What was he in? Kill the Irishman. Oh yeah, and yeah. Don Juan DeMarco, and he was in the show Dynasty in the eighties. Uh, in fact, I think there may have been another actor that was. Uh, I'm just looking at all the ones that have professional looking headshots. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I did see that there was another actor who I'm now struggling to find in my, uh, oh, here it is. Um, uh, Jim Metzler, who in, uh, Squeeze Play, uh, he was the, uh, he played the second base for the men's team. Uh, he later was also in a few episodes of, uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Uh, specifically he's in... Uh, what some Star Trek Deep Space Nine fans consider uh, some of the best episodes of Deep Space Nine, Past Tense Part 1 and 2. And, though, however, that does not feature the Vosh character. So we have two Star Trek Deep Space Nine people in Squeeze Play, but they were not in any episodes together. He also was apparently a main character in Children of the Corn Part 3, Urban Harvest, for all you Children of the Corn fans out there. And I think I just saw he was in Sliders as well. Children of the Corn yes, he was. Is, was one of the better sequels, if I recall. I've only seen the first one. I've seen none of the Children of the Corn sequels. Um, one of the actresses, uh, Brenda Starr, is like a... I think she's like a like a she was like a singer or something if i'm reading this right oh i'm not i'm not sure um alan harris who in squeeze play um who who did he play uh well he already had several acting roles before squeeze play which is why i'm having a difficulty finding oh he played the left field position on the men's team he had a bit role as a prison guard in a clockwork orange oh cool cool i mean that's pretty cool he yeah. was also he was also a reoccurring character um in uh uh 1970s 80s run of doctor who so nice. for all you Whovians, that's kind of interesting he was also uh did crew work on hellraiser which is awesome. Uh, He was a stand-in actor on both Hellraiser and Nightbreed. So I guess guess Clive Barker liked him (laughs) doing some uh, uh, behind-the-scenes work on Hellraiser. So that's that's pretty cool. Um, And I pull out this one just for you. Erwin Keyes, who in Squeeze Play, he was the bouncer at the bar. Okay, Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's has an uncredited role as a busboy in Friday the 13th. Oh, another, nice. another little Friday the 13th crossover there. But the reason I say for you, Lucas, is he played, um, I want to get the name of the character right. He played Ravelli? Ravali? I don't know. It's an Italian name. I can't begin to pronounce them. Terrible pronunciation, in case everyone listening hasn't learned, in House of a Thousand Corpses. Oh, hell yeah. Cool. I, I don't cool. know who Ravelli is. I don't is. know who that character is, but you know yeah. I love Rob Zombie. <laughs> Ravelli, House of a Thousand Corpses. 
But uh, yeah, no, I saw the uh, Rob Zombie connection there. I'm like, oh, I gotta mention that during the show just for Lucas. I gotta give. Um, oh, I, I oh. appreciate you thinking of me. <laughs> oh, I I actually pulling up his picture. I totally remember this guy in the movie. He's um, uh, he's one of the henchmen sidekicks of um, uh, Captain Spaulding. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He actually, there's, like, a scene where he's, like, one of the henchmen, because Captain Spaulding has, like, two henchmen in the movie, if I'm recalling correctly, and one of them has a giant head mask. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I remember this guy. Yes. Yeah, so they put up pictures, I was like, oh, yes, I remember this in the movie. I did not know he actually had a name. I don't don't know if the name is ever actually said in the movie. Apparently, (laughs) he's dead. Eh, Rest in peace. Oh man! Yeah. So that uh, uh, um that was uh, Erwin Keys, Erwin Keys, rest in peace, Erwin Keys. Yep. Um. Uh, so I actually think that is pretty much everything that I dug up for this movie. I don't know if you came across anything else interesting that we have not touched upon i have not um one one last erwin keys thing he was also in the warriors which i think will probably appeal to people who like this show oh yeah the Um, warriors yeah oh god yeah yeah. of course um yeah so yeah that was the other thing that i just literally just like saw um cool oh also man with alan harris who is uh uh one of the actors that we were talking about um, he was also apparently in uh, the the Star Wars movies. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I I really I'm not a Star Wars guy. Give me Trek all day, you know, any day of the week. Not a Star Wars fan, so that didn't jump out at me as a big deal. I'm I'm like, well, he was an uncredited prison guard in the Clockwork Gardens. That's pretty cool. And everyone else is probably like, he was in the New Hope. He he was in Empire Strikes Back. He was in Return of the Jedi. He was in the Phantom Menace. <laughs> And I'm like, eh, whatever. <laughs> oh, man. I do love Star Wars, but I, I know you're not into that he, at all. He was in four um, of the Star Wars movies, um, playing a different character in every one of the Star Wars movies. That is... That's interesting. <laughs> man. So, all right. I guess that's squeeze play. That's, yeah. Lucas, would you recommend this movie? Not Not really. Not really. I'm, I I I'd, I'd like to. I I want to, but like I I I just don't think. Um, yeah, it just wasn't. It's just not one of the more enjoyable movies that Trauma put out. Yeah, I found this one to be kind of a dud. Like, especially yeah. in the modern day context, this movie does not play well. Um, it it really shows its age. Uh, in terms of like these early like. Lloyd Kaufman's sex comedies, I found the first turn on way better. Yeah. Uh, that I would definitely recommend to a trauma fan. That's like, Same. like uh, first turn on definitely worth a watch. This one is, like I said, it has its historical place in the trauma filmography. It has its place in trauma's history. However, if you're not like an absolute completist, a trauma historian, like you and I are turning into, yeah, <laughs> um, this movie doesn't hold a whole lot of value in 2021, in my opinion. Yeah. So, I'd say this is this is one that you you, you can miss. Yeah. Oh, oh, I did want to know um, one other quick thing. 
Oh my God, I'm so happy I saw this. Uh, I wanted to uh, uh, address this. Um, uh, Jim Metzler, uh, mm -hmm. who was one of the actors, squeeze play, played the second base. I already mentioned that um, he was in, what did I mention he was in? Oh, he was also in uh, the Deep Space, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, two-parter, yeah, yeah. past tense, and he was also in Sliders, and he was in some other stuff. Really cool thing from oh, he was his... In sliders as well? Yeah! He, he, he was uh, just a guest star in an episode of Sliders, whereas the other actors we found in Sliders had a reoccurring role. So there's a chance these two actors were on the same episode. I could actually probably figure that out, but I'm not going to. Somebody else. <laughs> um, he was a reoccurring character also for three years on the TV show Touched by an Angel. Do you remember that one? I remember that show. My grandparents yeah. loved Touched by an Angel. I think everyone in our generation's grandparents loved Touched by an yeah, Angel. Yeah, I think I think that's a uh, I think that's a safe bet. <laughs> But what's really interesting to him is filmography is he had a name role, so I'm guessing he was one of the main characters in the episode, of an episode of Perversions of Science. Have you ever heard of Perversions of Science? I've heard of it, but I've never watched it. It lasted one season. It's a all but completely forgotten HBO spinoff to Tales from the Crypt that oh. – I feel like we've talked about this before. It may have come up on this show before that Tales from the Crypt was based on a comic book series, and all of the episodes of Tales from the Crypt of the HBO anthology series are actually based on stories from the comic books Tales from the Crypt, um, Haunt of Fear, uh, Vault of Horror, mm -hmm. and Shock Suspense stories, and... And um, the EC Comics, which is the name of the publishing company that published those, also did very dark science fiction comics. Uh, weird science, uh, weird fantasy, weird science fantasy. Um, those, those were the names of the actual comics. Yeah. And HBO tried to do a spin-off series from Tales from the Crypt called Perversions of Science. It was adapting HBO oh, – I'm sorry, adapting EC's uh, science fiction comics. show only lasted one season – um, you can probably find episodes of it on YouTube. It's never ever had an official release of any sort, but there's bootlegs of the show all over the internet. If you like those old Tales from the Crypt episodes of HBO, highly recommend watching Perversions of Science because it's essentially a season of Tales from the Crypt you've never saw, you've never seen before, all including right. a great episode where Jeffrey Combs plays Hitler. What? Yes. Oh, dude. Jeffrey Combs plays Hitler in an episode. Shows just incredible. is worth watching just to see Jeffrey Combs as Hitler. And he makes a good Hitler, by the way. Uh, yeah, I could totally see that. I could in case somebody's listening, of like, that. Jeffrey Combs, that sounds familiar. Who's Jeffrey Combs? Fucking Herbert Rest, we animator. Yep. Oh, God, there's a ton of these on YouTube. Holy shit. Oh, oh cool. Yeah, well worth a watch. Well worth a watch. They're super oh, fun. Yeah. If you like, if you like, HBO's Tales from the Crypt, definitely worth a watch. So, yeah, so my final recommendations for this is, uh, yeah, don't watch a squeeze play, but go watch Perversions of Science. <laughs> awesome. So, uh, yeah, um, what uh, what do we want to talk about? Uh, what are we going to talk about next week? I know oh, we talked about it off, off mic, but... Uh... 
Yeah, so we actually had a conversation off mic because we actually have been having a week-long conversation about a specific movie and whether or not we should cover it on this show. And we kind of came to the decision that there's enough crossover with this movie with Troma Entertainment that it's worthwhile discussing. A big theme of our show has of this show that we've been doing has been how the threads of how trauma keeps having its fingers in all these different aspects of the movie industry. Well, I shouldn't even say movie, movie and television, the entertainment industry as a whole has been undeniably impacted by trauma and the people who came from trauma. And so we kind of think we're justified in covering this movie and that, and this also is going to open the door a bit more for us to be able to talk about other movies, not directly made by Troma Entertainment, but made by people from Troma and still has the Troma spirit. So mm-hmm. next week, we are going to be discussing the 2021 movie, James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. Hell yeah, dude. Fuck yeah. Uh, I'm going to tell you right now. My recommendation for the movie is fucking watch it. It fucking kicks ass. Yeah, and definitely. There is a lot, a lot of interesting behind-the-scenes shit about the Suicide Squad movie. We're going to go over the James Gunn controversies. And we talked about it before on um, the uh, Tromeo and Juliet episode, but we're going to go into way more detail on it next week of going into James Gunn's history, his controversies, and all sorts of stuff about James Gunn, way more so. Cool. And it's probably going to open the door for us to discuss some more movies that may not have been directly made by Troma uh, that are still directly related to Troma Entertainment. And people will be like, well, oh, you've already talked about a movie not made by Troma, the Mother's Day remake. Yeah, but that was a remake of a Troma movie. So that was really yeah. easy for us to justify. Definitely. Like we, We've already been saying that when the Toxic Avenger remake comes out, we are uh, going to be discussing it on this show. But we're going to do the Suicide Squad next week. James yes, Gunn wrote are. and directed it. Lloyd Kaufman has a cameo in it. The Toxic Avenger movie is actually playing on a screen in it. We figure these are enough connections for us to justify the Suicide oh, Squad. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if anyone that like follows me like on Facebook or that, you'll see that I wrote already a positive review of the Suicide Squad in which I described it as James Gunn bringing trauma-style madness to a mainstream movie. Yep. So, so so wonderful. So I, I'm wonderful. psyched. It also gives me an excuse to watch it again because I've been kind of wanting to. And now I can, like, you know, I can tell my partner, like, it, it, it's for the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I, I still don't think you should let your kids watch it, Lucas. No, no, no. I will not. I will not be doing that. <laughs> no, no, no kids should really be viewing The Suicide Squad. It's a pretty violent, mean-spirited movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so that'll be uh, next week's episode. We're going to do The Suicide Squad. And then the episode after that, I'm sure we're going to go right back into, um, you know, the pure trauma films. But I think I think this is related. I think it's justified. I think, I think it's, it's related. And it's kind of the best example this is kind of a little preview of like what I'll be at least what 
some of my thesis points are going to be for the next episode. I think it's the best example of trauma having a direct impact on mainstream filmmaking. And uh, like this huge budget major superhero movie literally would not exist without trauma and the trauma aesthetics. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's, it really is incredible. Um, Yeah. Um, So yeah, you, uh, you have anything to plug? Oh shit. Yeah, I do. I do. So uh, uh, I actually have something to plug related to me for the very first time. So uh, this episode is going to be coming out on Monday the 16th. Mm -hmm. And on Saturday the 21st, this is um, August, for anyone listening to this in the future, we're in August right now as we're recording this and talking. So August the 16th is when this episode will be dropping. But on August 21st, um, well, actually, the whole weekend of um, the Friday to the Friday twentieth to the twenty second, where will be the online um, virtual KillerCon, and I will be participating in KillerCon, uh, and specifically, I will be hosting the online gross out contest happening Saturday night. Um, in case people are not aware, the gross out contest is it's a it's a horror industry event of essentially four people in the horror industry. It's where people yeah. in the horror industry get a few couple minutes to do the grossest performance that they can. And I have <laughs> been hosting the gross out contest for, I don't know how long have I been hosting the gross out contest for Lucas was 2014 your first year. Uh-huh. Or, oh, then no, then yeah, I don't know. Uh-huh. Like what? It's gotta be like 10 years. Maybe. <laughs> oh, you don't know. Jeez. Okay, I truly yeah. have no clue when the first time I hosted the gross out was. Um, wow. It, it would have been at uh, KillerCon. It would have been at KillerCon. Okay, so I never went to KillerCon until it came to Austin, so... I did. I was doing it in Vegas. Okay. Yeah. So it would have been in Vegas at KillerCon. would have been the first time I hosted it. So, I don't know. I've been doing, I've been hosting a gross out contest for a while. I've hosted a lot of them. I've hosted gross out contests in Portland, in Las Vegas, in Austin, in Atlanta. Um, yeah. Maybe some other places that I'm spacing on right now. But I've hosted the gross out contests all over this great nation, and I'm doing it virtually. And now, you have to sign up for KillerCon to watch the stream of it. And the key point here is the event will not be recorded. What yeah. happens at the gross out contest stays at the gross out contest. I've already experienced before what happens when a bunch of fucking idiots that don't have any context <laughs> catch wind of what we do at our private events and turn it into a whole big bunch of fucking stupid nonsense. Yeah. So to prevent from that, we the events are not allowed to be recorded. You have to be a part of the KillerCon virtual convention to watch this event. And trust me, it is worth the $10 it takes to register for KillerCon just to watch the Gross Out Contest. Now, there's lots of other great virtual events happening all weekend. Rath yeah. James White, phenomenal horror writer, great friend of both of ours. Shout out to Rath James White in Austin, Texas. Um, yeah. Uh, is puts together KillerCon. It's a phenomenal fucking event. It's my favorite horror convention, period. Um, I fucking love KillerCon. And I'm just, fingers crossed, fingers crossed 
that next year we can finally have KillerCon back in person. And yeah, we can do the event face nice. to face. Uh, yeah, I mean, I got to plug KillerCon too, man. I mean, I've, I'm, uh, you know, uh, I'll be on a, a, a pan- I'll be, no, I'm not moderating that panel, but I am, I'll be on a panel for a, imposter syndrome. I'll be moderating a panel on, uh, mistakes horror writers make. Um, I, I'll be on, uh, oh, I'll be co-hosting horror trivia with, um, with, uh, with, uh, Adam Caesar. Is that uh, happening, um, Friday night? Uh, Friday night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then I think I'm on another, like, uh, uh, you know, uh, blasphemous horror panel or something like that. Uh, so yeah, I'll be, I'll be all over the place. Blasphemous horror? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I think it's like, yeah, it's like kind of like horror and religion and, you know, melding them or, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'll be doing. I'll be bouncing around all weekend. So yeah, if you go to I think it. I think the website's KillerConAustin.com. I could be wrong. I, I believe it's KillerConAustin.com. Uh, I, I, yeah, um, yeah. You can register for ten dollars and just watch the it, thing on. It TV. is in fact KillerConAustin.com. Though I will say I didn't say the website because I trust that we have a smart audience. I trust our audience is smart enough to know how to use a search engine and type in the words killer con and get yeah. to the correct example. I have faith in you listening. You listening, whoever you are right now, I believe in you. I think you're oh. smart to use a search engine. There's also the uh, the Splatterpunk Awards, which oh, I, yes. my, my book Pandemonium is nominated for, for one in the category of best novel. It's the oh, no book I, I wrote with I co-wrote with uh, Ryan Harding, who we have talked about on this show. A as couple well. times we've we've shout, we've given shout outs to Ryan Harding a couple times. Yes, yes. Well deserved. Well deserved. Oh great great guy and fan fucking tastic sick ass writer. <laughs> yeah. Emphasis on sick. His shit oh, is yeah. sick. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh man. All so, right, yeah, I'm cool. really looking forward to hosting the gross out contest there. I'm uh, um, I'm gonna try to tune in for your trivia event. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. All I right. will have to be working my day job through the whole weekend, so I'm gonna try to get in and out as I as I can. But my evenings, I should be able to catch up on things going on. And But the only thing I'm 100% committed to at this time is the gross out. Excellent. All right. Well, that's it for this week. Um, we will see you all next week for the Suicide Squad. Fuck yeah.